Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Our Father, we are your church. We have been called out. And so, O Lord, we have been called out that we might be sent back and carry good news to all aching, longing hearts. And so, dear Lord, speak to us through your word. Empower us and enable us. We ask it in the name of your Son, who is the head of the church, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in the Gospel of Matthew, after the resurrection, Jesus tells them to go to Galilee. And and so they go. Go to Galilee to a particular hill. There are all kinds of guesses as to what hill it might be, but there are all kinds of hills up there, so it's one of those who knows things, but that's what scholars waste their time trying to figure out. (laughs) Because it doesn't really matter. But he goes... And he meets the disciples there. And so the disciples who have just experienced this reality of the resurrection see him now once again up in Galilee. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew. This is how he closes his letter. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, For lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. Word of the Lord. So the church is that which is in contrast to a human construct. We declare that Jesus Christ is head of the church, that he started it, and that on the day of Pentecost, as people of of all over the place, were gathered in Jerusalem, suddenly the Holy Spirit comes, and they all start speaking different languages. But the languages that they spoke were known languages. In other words, the disciples were given languages that they were never taught. But then then here's Nathaniel, all of a sudden speaking Spanish. And, And here's Peter, speaking in Latin. And so it was, they were given languages, tongues, so that they might go forth into the world and and preach the gospel so that God might build his church. Now, this, this is in direct contrast to what we know about in the story of Babel. You remember that from Sunday school. <laughs> some, some walls of Sunday school classrooms have the Tower of Babel falling down. 
And the Tower of Babel is a, an effort on the, part of, on the part of people to build a monument, to build a utopian world, to build something to their own glory, and, and to do something that they believe will stand the test of time and, and as they build, they think this will itself reach heaven. It's going to reach a level of perfection. And so they will, on earth, build this, this perfect system. The system that, that, will, that will handle all the world's problems, at least all the problems of that Babylonian community. And you know, we, we still do this. There's still this kind of effort, this, this utopian dream, this dream to build something that is, that is determinative of, of human destiny, where we're going to build this, this paradise that, that everyone is going to be happy in, and all things will be, all things will be equal, and everyone will be so happy in this world that that we build. And so God saw this and he brought an end to it. And the end that he brought to it was that although they were speaking with one another, they could not understand each other. They would speak, but others couldn't hear or couldn't understand. And in our own time, when we live in a time when it seems that so many people, so many entities, so many powers speak, but people don't understand. There's no communication going on. There's just conflict. Maybe, maybe we've been trying to build our own Tower of Babel here. Maybe we've been aspiring to do things our way. Maybe we've wanted it to be something that would be to our glory and our honor. And so we don't understand each other. We almost, it's almost like speaking another language with each other. And this only serves to dismantle a culture and a society, as it happened in Babel. They couldn't understand each other. And so they too were scattered. They left. They went to their own place, and, and the result, of course, was tribalism, where they were all speaking just their own idiom, their own language. But the opposite of that is what God wants, and that is the obliteration of tribes, that, that the, the kingdom of God would be a place for every nation, every tongue, every tribe, and so and so the Lord instructs them to go out and preach to all nations, to everyone, that all may come in and all may be a part of what God is intending to do. And so the disciples went. And they went and they paid a huge price, as you know, all but perhaps, we don't know exactly, but perhaps the Apostle John, who was in all likelihood, the youngest of the disciples. They all died a martyr's death. 
What they did is they were told, they went and they preached the gospel. They simply spread the word. And they were just human. They were broken people just like all of us. But it it managed to work. It managed to come together, not because of their efforts, but because of God's spirit. Martin Luther put it this way. While I drink my little glass of Wittenberg beer, the gospel runs its course. Now, mind you, his little glass of Wittenberg beer was actually a stein. And on the inside of the stein were the Beatitudes, and at the bottom was the Lord's Prayer. And he used to pride himself in being able to chug all the way down to the Lord's Prayer. But he wasn't going to worry about it. He wasn't going to worry because it was not by our effort. Our effort is simply to be obedient. Simply to to do what we're called to do, to be church. And when we're being just being church, when we're acting faithfully, then God God takes over. God does what, what has to be done. And what I find astonishing about this text also, as we read this, we think, what on earth? Because the disciples there have seen the risen Lord. They saw him down in Jerusalem. Now they see him again up in Galilee. And then it says, and they doubted. You know, I think, well, if I were there, I wouldn't doubt. But they doubted. And actually, I think that's really good news. That's good news because even those who saw the risen Christ had something stirring within them that gave rise to their doubt. And the reality of faith is is that we we cannot help but, but doubt at times. We just do. I've been in the ministry for over 40 years. And although I don't really struggle so much with doubt, but the the reality is there are times when that creeps in. And, And my calling and our calling is not to preach our doubt. We can talk about it in class and that sort of thing. We don't preach our doubt. We preach the faith. But acknowledging the reality, our our own humanity allows for the the simple word to get alloyed by all that stuff that stirs within us. And what's unfortunate is when the church begins to veer over toward that, that place of doubt and become really a doubting reality, a doubting church, and the doubt can be so prominent, so dominant, that churches actually begin to relinquish the foundational realities of the faith through the scriptures and simply become a shill for the culture. We saw it happen in in the 1930s in Germany. And one of the great theologians of the 20th century, Karl Barth, had this to say. When the church is is encumbered with doubt, the life of the church becomes an end in itself. And he says, 
where the church is an end in itself, it usually begins to taste sacral, to act pious, to become priestly, and to turn sour. Anyone with a sensitive nose will smell that and find it dreadful. So church can operate without faith just by going through the motions. And and we can act like we're so sacred and so pious and so, so godly. But it's a cover for the reality of faith having drained out. And we see it with all too much regularity. But the church is called to be a place and a people, more than a place, a people. The place is to be simply that which empowers us to be the church and and to be a people sent into the world with a message, with good news, a message that that is active in our hearts, but also lived out in our our lives. A message that is demonstrated in the way that we we are with one another. And, And in our time today, in our culture today, there's all kinds of surveys and inputs coming out about the the lack of faith of so many, and then the the antagonism, even, of so many. Of so many in our culture, entities in our culture that have become openly antagonistic to Christians and Christianity. And so it is such that the church has to be today not a lot unlike it was at various times of of its history. So in the first century, the church was a beleaguered minority in the Roman world. And they were subject to horrific beatings. Now we're subject to horrific tweetings. (laughs) But the reality of social media is such that this this kind of discourse can go on and and begin to break break us down and wear us down. But we're in a time where the culture, the larger culture, is growing in its hostility toward the church. And so it's important for us to recognize that this this is not so much a culture that really likes us. The reality of church attendance in our, in our nation, there have been a couple surveys. One, Barna, the Barna Institute has, has simply asked how many, uh, in response to a survey, how many of you are active in church, and the number's always been around 50%, give or take. But when you actually count the number of people in the pews, it's more like 10%. The reality of church attendance. Why why aren't the streets crowded on Sunday morning coming down to church? Why is it Sunday morning that, oh, we can drive and it's not so many people on the road, except for Easter? So the church has become sort of once again a beleaguered minority. You're so right. Oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) Amen. 
And so it's important for us to understand that it's, there's a time for us to stand not as politically defined, not as culturally defined, but as, as defined by our Savior. It's defined by the Lord to, to graciously, happily represent the reality of Christ wherever we are. And we don't have to do it with a scowl. We don't have to do it as if we're somehow better than anyone else. The reality is we're not. We're the church. If anything, we know our sinfulness and our brokenness. But there's a time, and this is a time. So Helmut Thielicke was a German pastor during that same era as Karl Barth. And he said, the church is a mighty fortress from which we should launch our sorties into a world where there are competitive competitions in professional life, educational needs for our children, anxiety about tomorrow, wild adventure, and joyful moments. There we do battle using the weapons given to us by the armory of the word, encouraged by the shouts that filter down to us from the walls of Jerusalem. He's a pastor from Stuttgart. His church was bombed out. The Nazis were constantly listening to him. He was so smart, he was able to preach over the heads of the Nazis in his congregation. And he maintained his pulpit through it all. Others such as Bonhoeffer, uh, Bart, Neumoller, others were arrested. This is a time for us to simply be the church And again, not in an arrogant manner, but in a manner that reflects the reality of our Lord as our head, the head of the church. I heard of a sweet example of what I'm talking about just recently. So we all know about what's going on with the uh, Supreme Court and the draft decision that's come down and then protests outside the, the homes of some of the justices. There were protests outside of Samuel Alito's home one evening. And my understanding is these protests are illegal, but they were going on anyway. And nevertheless, the protests were were going on and Samuel Alito was inside with his family. And then someone, and I've heard a couple reports, someone either from inside Alito's home or in a neighboring house, started playing the piano. Playing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And that, that was taking, taking a stand for that which was legal, of course, but the least of that which is moral or ethical is that which is legal. But it wasn't an arrogant response. It wasn't going outside and going chin to chin with protesters. It was simply calling upon the Lord and for all of us to trust in him. And so the mission of the church is to be his body dispersed, his body in the world. 
And as we go face to face, let's not go chin to chin. How much better to go cheek to cheek, to love each other, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, and to reflect the nature of our risen Lord. That was the response of the disciples. They went into all nations, all that they could reach at that time. But the church has gone forth. As Luther sipped his little glass of Wittenberg beer, the kingdom of God went forth, and it goes forth to this day, and it goes forth in and through us. Will you join me in prayer? And so, Lord, we are not to be ugly. We're to reflect your beauty. We're not to be harsh. We're to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. But, Lord, you call us. You give us this this great challenge. And you make your promise that you will go before us and you will follow up behind us and you will be with us until the close of the age. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.